You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. This is your host, Blake Murphy, on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7, providing you with your complete cards coverage. Uh, today we'll talk, at least on the pod, it's the end of the week. It should be dropping for you uh, folks listening on a Friday morning if you're in the United States area. Uh, for those at least listening around the world, uh, thank you so much. It's been fun to talk about the Cardinals this season in a season in which they are the only NFL team to not only start 4-0, and but to also start 5-0. and The last time a Cardinals team started at 5-0 and was back in the 70s. So uh, for a lot of younger Cardinals fans, this is something we've not seen in our lifetimes for some of you who are uh, long-standing uh, fans of the team, this is definitely one of the more memorable seasons already uh, across the vast history of this franchise. So uh, today's episode, talk a little bit about the win over the Niners. Obviously, this is a game in which the Arizona Cardinals didn't put up the same offensive metrics. I'll go into a few reasons why they were still able to pull away with the win. Talk a little bit about some of the injuries that have occurred, as well as the overall trajectory of the team, and wrap it up at least with a preview against the upcoming Cleveland Browns. So, uh, to first talk a bit about the Cardinals game uh, from the perspective of someone who was at the stadium, be able to see the environment, and in some cases, maybe could argue that a lot of fans there were not necessarily Cardinals fans. There was a huge plethora of Niners fans. Obviously, this is a case that Cardinals fans are used to. We're always the fan base that has seen a six-time Lombardi Trophy winner that takes over the Cardinals stadium due to how many transplants there are, one reason or another. Leaving California, picked up watching the team sometime along in the 80s, maybe even the 90s. And as a result, State Farm Stadium, for the most part, had a wild fan base of Cardinal approval. But when it was in the third quarter and the Niners had scored a touchdown, things seemed to be changing a bit. It did feel like for a short while that the Cardinals fan base was being drowned out by the Niners fans. Now, that notwithstanding, the overall feeling of a lot of Cardinals fans that were present was a lot of confidence. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that on the other side of the field was Trey Lance, a rookie quarterback making his first start, and a rookie quarterback who, while he stayed for the most part uh, mistake-free, did start the game with an interception. Buda Baker, uh, notable for up until last year, he had not had an interception in the NFL, came away with one, and I think that the usage that we're seeing out of him and Vance Joseph has partially been one of the reasons why the Cardinals have been very solid in coverage this year. We saw, at least with injuries to Byron Murphy and Marco Wilson, that they were able to utilize Buda Baker a lot more down in the middle of the field, putting him and the healthy Jalen Thompson in a great place to be able to be some of these guys making tackles. Or, in the case of Buda Baker, being able to sit back watch the coverage, and help some of the cornerbacks, whether that be Alford, needing a bit of speed over the top as he's about 32. Uh, he played pretty well overall, at least, outside of there was, uh, I believe, one time where the Cardinals had to match him up over onto uh, Debo Samuel just because their other cornerback, Hamilton, just seemed like he let him go for a little bit. But in that result, the Cardinals pick off a pass, Go down and score right away. You have a touchdown to James Conner, and that really ended up being what set the motivation for the game. And then after that, it seemed like the, the Niners adjusted. The Cardinals' offense struggled, and part of the reason they struggled was because they ran into what I think has at least been maybe a little bit of a long time coming, but perhaps it's the first time that we'll have to see Arizona have to adjust, is they ran into... What happens when Kyler Murray is under pressure from under center? We saw this a lot last year. We saw this in 2019. We haven't really seen it much with Rodney Hudson this season. Because the Cardinals have either been able to buy time for Kyler Murray up front or 
He's been able to escape out the back door running to his right or sprinting backwards across to his left, and he took a few sacks as a result. And these weren't just sacks that necessarily were, you know, you just, Kyler is a guy coming, he just sits his butt down. No, 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 no. These were some drive-killing sacks. And that was the probably main reason why the Cardinals did not end up blowing out the Niners was due to a very good Niners front. There's not every team that's going to have the likes of a Nick Bosa. There's not going to be a lot of teams that have a DJ Jones. And Josh Jones, for the first time this season, really did seem to struggle a bit. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough that he was able to get pushed off balance once or twice, and that seemed to be just enough for the pass rushers to be able to put a little bit of pressure on Kyler. Now, as far as the offense goes, Arizona had a relatively uh, decent performance, putting up 17 points. Uh, their running back situation was not great. Rondell Moore led the team in rushing. They averaged overall 3.5 yards a carry. Not great. Niners averaged, of course, over five. But really, the story of the game comes down to the defensive side of the ball. We, we can talk about how Rondell Moore had an incredible catch on the sideline. We could talk about DeAndre Hopkins when the Cardinals needed points, took over. We can talk about how Christian Kirk, after being rated as maybe one of the top five receivers in the NFL and PFF, beating man coverage at an incredible rate, has seemed to just disappear for one catch for 11, or one carry for 11 yards. And he had five catches for 39 yards, but didn't really seem to make these sort of splash plays. Now, there was a couple of plays over the middle he did, but it wasn't nearly the sort of star plays that we've come to expect from the first few games of the season. And I wonder if that means Rondell Moore may be playing a bigger part in the Cardinals' offense moving forward. Now, all that being said, let's talk about the defense. The defense for the Arizona Cardinals in this game was the star of the show. You're missing two top cornerbacks. You're missing, at one point, Isaiah Simmons for a few snaps. You don't know if he's going to come back. Jordan Hicks was injured in this game. And then you also end up finding out that, up oh, your offense is going to be down two players. So the defense is really going to have to carry this team. It was just one of those slobber knocker, gritty, have to put everything together type of games from the Cardinals. And on the defensive side, while they gave up some yards, it seemed like the Niners are always at some point getting just enough through running the ball to get into Cardinals territory. The Ben Don't Break defense came up on five fourth down attempts, came up four times, stopping San Fran short. Two of those essentially were even in the red zone <laughs> on fourth down. The play of the game, obviously, with not all being said, was the tackle that Isaiah Simmons, a tackle that I believe Tanner Vallejo was in on to be able to make on Trey Lance on what was kind of a dumb fourth down call. Like, I think that we'll talk a bit about Kyle Shanahan and his future, at least after talking, but the way that the defense worked as far as being this aggressive and physical type of team, we just haven't seen from the Cardinals defense. We probably haven't seen it, to be honest, since this 2014 to 2000 and 15 type of teams. Under Bruce Arians, Todd Bowles, and James Betcher, the Cardinals were a hard-hitting defense that would physically punish you. A lot of people remember those as Arians, kind of these, you know, shuck it deep, you know, take six shots a game, these all-or-nothing, no-risk-it-no-biscuit teams. And in reality, they weren't really putting up a whole lot of points per game. They were holding their opponents to about 17 to 21 points per game. They were a top defensive unit under Bruce. They were winning close games because the defense was making key stops or getting key takeaways. And as people have talked about this week, whether it's on local radio or it's national, the Cardinals being able to win in multiple ways is good because Kyler Murray, he didn't have his best day. He took a few of those sacks. There was a little bit as far as for being flustered, especially you could tell after Rodney Hudson went out, and especially when Max Williams, who's been a good safety valve for him, got hurt, it seemed like it was a helium balloon that had a hole poked in it. The Cardinals just were a little bit disorganized, flopping around. There was a little bit of air leaking out of the stadium, and yet they still were able to right the ship, and that has been the biggest thing this season, why it's so hard to pick against them in whatever game they're in. 
they've been able to find a way to win the game. And that's where I think in that second half, being able to come up with those fourth down stops and then being at a point where the Niners are making a comeback. The This is one of the biggest things, I think, at least, that this team has in the past would really, really struggle with. They would essentially be at this position where they would be needing to get a stop. They'd be up, you know, maybe by three points or so. The other team comes back and takes the lead, and the Cardinals then have to put it on Kyler Murray's shoulders to have to go down and have him have to win the game while the team is coming from behind. That's the 2019. That may be even look at the Seahawks game. Look at the Bills game. That is the 2019 to 2020 Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the Bills, for crying out loud, scored with some 40 seconds left. It took the Hale Murray to beat the Bills. It took going to overtime a crazy amount of plays. The defense, obviously, with a takeaway, really put Arizona in position. But the Cardinals, they really ended up with the missed field goals and everything. At the end of the game, they needed Kyler to come through just to be able to have a chance. You think of the second Seahawks game. Kyler's having to make a throw. The Seahawks have the lead. He's having to come to a last-minute passing play that just doesn't get there in time to Andy Isabella. You can't have one team be one player. That's one of the developments that you can go You can see how a team like the Packers, it's built around Aaron Rodgers, but he's got help. He's got some solid weapons around him with Devontae Adams. We talk about a deep threat they have. We even got to see how Robert Tonyan stepped up last year, and he's always had a decent, if not great, line. The Cardinals have been operating as a team for the last two years under essentially Kyler Murray. And last year, hey, he finally got DeAndre Hopkins. And he got a better offensive line. We got to really see what they could do. This year, I think you got the defense on the other side too. It's not just Buda and Chandler being your defense. You've got multiple guys. We saw Zach Allen have maybe his best game as a pro outside of the Eagles game last year. He came up with a clutch sack in the situation. Richard Lewis played well. And Lucky Foto at least was able to push back the pocket. A lot of ways getting pressure on Trey Lance. And Trey Lance in that game, as far as it went, seemed to have this type of coaching from his uh, from Kyle Shanahan, from his staff. In whatever case it was, hey, if you're under pressure, use your legs. If we don't have enough of a presence to protect you, you're just going to go ahead and either try to scramble, move around the pocket, or we'll call about, you know, six or seven quarterback draws just to kind of, you know, keep the defense on their toes, try to make sure we can pick up some rushing yards, use that big body that Trey Lance has. And they did that to great effect for most of the game. It also has turned into, unfortunately, as people have seen from the injury reports, hopefully this week, unless you've been sleeping under a rock, Niners have a bye week this next week. And the week after, Trey Lance is questionable. He got hurt during the game. And it wasn't really obvious when that time was, but you could see with him running over and over again and taking hit after hit. Whereas on the Cardinals side, you can see Kyler Murray, he took three sacks in the game. But he didn't take those same hits that Trey Lance took. And with the defense being able to step up, we talked about Fotu, we've talked about Simmons. Really the big player that has made this team into perhaps what many people would say has been a... Uh, maybe not a dark horse anymore, maybe not a favorite, but has made them a contender as J.J. Watt. And early in the year, we compared J.J. Watt, at least, on the ROTB pod, at least I did, to signing the likes of a Chris Paul with the Phoenix Suns. You had your Devin Booker, your playmaker, making number one, a young guy who can basically, if you need to, carry your team when you need him to. But you didn't have that veteran leader, that guy who could put people in the right place, that guy who could step up and make big plays of their own to help carry your team, especially on the defensive side. If it wasn't Chandler Jones getting a strip sack or Buda Baker making a tackle, then you're, you're essentially, as Cardinals fans last few years, you're just hoping that the bleeding stops and someone is able to make a play. And the Cardinals couldn't do that in 2019. We've seen growth from this team as they've added talent We've also seen growth, especially from the growth from the young players this game, but really the star of the show was J.J. Watts. He didn't have a sack, but he was making havoc in the backfield. He blew up at least two of those fourth down plays, gave Arizona a chance, and that was really where the team ultimately turned around. It was after the Niners came back and scored a touchdown. The Cardinals punted. 
there were two huge stops at the end of this game. A direct snap to Kyle Juszczyk up the middle. No gain. Zach Allen on the snap. Cardinals go back, and then you're like, all right, go down, put him away, and guess what happened? You had a Chase Edmond gets tackled. He gets spun around, and this is when seeing it live. You know, usually when there's a potential fumble, it's on the field. If a guy gets hit, sometimes the ball comes out and he's spun around. Sometimes the ground will knock it loose. But a lot of times when a guy gets spun around, it's a combination of tackling, a hit, centrifugal force. It just can jar the ball loose. It's part of why wrapping up when you're tackling can be super important, especially when you're a bigger linebacker tackling a small 5'9", 200-pound back like the likes of Chase Edmonds. And I love Chase. I think that he's got a good chance to see a Cardinals extension at least if he can remain healthy for the rest of the year. Will never probably be that huge, big Derrick Henry type role, but he'll maybe be able to be, if not a featured back, at least as part of a stable rotation. He fumbles the ball. Cardinals are in a situation where all of a sudden you're at the San Francisco 49. It's a great field position. And if the Niners can go down and score a touchdown here, you're going to be down four points with just about maybe five or six minutes left in the game. And that is going to be one of those, oh, here we go again, Cardinals fans, snatching away defeat from the jaws of victory. What do we see instead? See Lecky Fotu pressuring, at least, with a batted down pass over toward Bandon Ayuk. We see Trey Lance take off, at least for the most part, trying to scramble. Jalen Thompson tackles him short of the sticks. We see another incomplete pass over the middle. And then at fourth and four, you're at the 48-yard line. You're out of field goal range. Niners go for it. They don't punt. They didn't punt throughout this entire game. They didn't trust their kicker to kick field goals, even when they probably should have seen the points at a premium. J.J. Watt swats a pass down in the middle of the field. You could see at least the Cardinals' call by Vance Joseph was brilliant. They put said, hey, Zach Allen, you've batted down a ton of balls during your time at Boston College. We haven't gotten to see you a lot because of some of the health. Sometimes it's been because of... Just a kind of play where it seemed like he would be invisible. And this game, he stood out because he and J.J. Watt put their hands up. They timed it perfectly. And J.J. Swat became J.J. Swat once again. He's probably been right now one of the most, if not the most, impactful defensive tackle in the NFL. Not named Javon Hargrave or Aaron Donald. The Cardinals taking J.J. Watt from this defensive end position, being able to rush off the edge and moving him into this primary the inside role has been a huge boost. Then what happens after that? The Cardinals essentially end up having some huge plays for the most part. You end up seeing at least Kyler Murray scramble a bit up to the center to pick up a first down. You see a play where in which they call where DeAndre Hopkins ends up kind of between two guys in zone coverage. Kyler scrambles back, throws it deep. You end up seeing him come down with a great catch. And then you have, of course, the kind of fade route to the end zone at least. Hopkins with another excellent adjustment. And I think that's one where we can see at least the current future of the Cardinals and the present in those incredible catches. One to Hopkins on one side and one to Rondell Moore on the other. A.J. Green, he had a good game overall. I think the Cardinals have seen by having two big threats on the outside and having a speed guy like Moore who can essentially get not just mismatches, just be able to use that extra bit of space he gets to get deep really makes a big difference as far as how Cliff's offense is supposed to work. It allows for less thinking, and it also has allowed Cliff to use different formations to great effect. The hope, at least for the Cardinals, I think, is that they'd be able to, maybe even if it's not keeping this team intact, to recognize that you've got stuff you can build around with more. And even with Hopkins playing at this level, we got to see a 32-year-old Larry Fitzgerald still being able to put up Clutch seasons, making clutch catches. All the way through the Carson Palmer era. I think the same is possible with DeAndre Hopkins, who, for the record, passed up Larry Fitzgerald and his record for the fastest, I believe it was, to... I believe it was like as far as for before 30, the quickest to... Uh, was it 10,000 catches, at least, for that one? I believe this is Blake Googling here, overall recording... Anyway, uh, he passed up Larry Fitzgerald's record as far as for the quickest to that number of receptions. I believe it was ten. Was it ten thousand catches? In any case, before age thirty, so the Cardinals somehow found a way to replace Larry Fitzgerald with another Larry Fitzgerald. 
as crazy as that may seem. And I think that is one of the elements that we've talked about as Cardinals fans in the past is how much of this is on the quarterback developing and how much of it is the talent around them. And I think a guy like Hopkins and a guy like Moore showing that talent really does matter. That's part of why when talent is present, Steve Kimes is doing a great job. When talent is not present, general manager gets a lot of blame, perhaps even more blame deservedly than some of the coaches. In any case, the Cardinals do come away with the win, and they also come away with several losses. Two of them in particular to the offensive side, and a third that's been added through this week. Talk about some of those losses next and what it could mean for the future, especially with what the Cardinals could look for at tight end. That's going to be next here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Welcome back to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. Let's talk about the injuries the Cardinals sustained. The Arizona Cardinals this season, at least, have been relatively healthy. You've seen a couple of guys miss one or two games. This is the first time that you really end up seeing one of these type of season-ending injuries. That would be to Max Williams, who caught a great pass out of the backfield from Kyler Murray. Actually, not out of the backfield. Um, Kind of did more of like this leak route. It was a check down. There it is. A check down route. And ended up being in a place where he was able to make a guy miss, rumbling down the... Rumbling down the sideline, as Max Williams tends to do. And then when he got tackled, you could even see right away, it seemed like when he got tackled, he was hit, his cleat was stuck in the ground. He ends up taking a hyperextension to his knee. And while there hasn't been an update yet, the expectation is that his season is probably over. That's a rough take because when the Cardinals are running, this type of four-receiver offense with 10 personnel, spreading guys out, they a lot of times would run. Closer to 11, you'd see a Christian Kirk come off the field. Maybe you'd see a Rondale Moore often off the field. Sometimes even A.J. Green would end up being out for a snap or two or DeAndre Hopkins would grab a drink. You would be able to still see Max Williams be one of those guys who could line up either in the slot or line up as an inline blocker at the tight end position. And this year was the first year we really got to see Kingsbury outside of maybe either some trick plays, design plays, or other places in the red zone. He targeted him a lot more on some of these type of um, 11 personnel design plays, whether they were mismatches or being able to simply utilize Williams. It's kind of a check down route of teams would focus on the running back. Cool. Max Williams might just be able to sneak out to the side, be there as an available option. And he even turned into a red zone threat for Kyler Murray. We got to see him with a perfectly placed pass last week against the Rams for a touchdown. And we got to see how important he's been as far as the offense because when he went out, the pass blocking just did seem to suffer for Arizona. Now, obviously, the uh, pass blocking is never perfect, and the best of days teams in the NFL are just too good. But when Rodney Hudson went out with a rib injury as well, Max Garcia, well, he went and he did not allow a sack. Uh, I don't even know if he allowed a pressure in the game. I believe it may have been one pressure, but... He played well, and this is a guy who has been around the Cardinals for about two or three years, has subbed in at times, but never really got a chance to really see a significant amount of playing time. We might see some of that now, at least for the most part. My guess is looking at the Cardinals' schedule, we'll see at least if they can have Rodney Hudson. Now, I, I doubt he'll be back in Sunday. Cliff Kingsbury said as much. I somehow have a feeling that he may not even be back for the Texans game. The question, of course, is will the Cardinals and Hudson be in a place where he'll be able to start up against the Packers for that Thursday night football game? You're bringing in then, hopefully, the guy who's rested, has been able to recover some, is still playing a bit hurt because everyone plays hurt. But you're not worried about him playing the Texans as much as you might be saying, hey, we're, we're going to need this guy against the Packers. Kenny Clark is a pretty dominant player for the most part. You're not talking about a Packers team that is this trash defense like it's been years past. They're not great this year, but they still have guys who can get to the QB. That Preston Smith is still there. They got at least an additional linebackers. They've got one of the guys who's with the Cardinals last year and Devondre Campbell. They could always bring on a blitz. There's talent there, and that's where maybe that could be the goal. If they do not bring him back for that game, 
than you would think, at least for the most part. Well, unless the Cardinals put him on IR in the next couple of days, you're not going to be seeing him miss three games. You'll probably be seeing him after that mini buy the following week come back for that next game after the path after the Panthers. Uh, I should say at least I believe that's the Panthers game. I'll have to double check. Um, after the Packers game. And in the meantime, I think that they can get by. You've got Josh Jones back on the interior now that you've got a healthier Kelvin Beecham. You've got Justin Pugh, who's back after what seemed like might be some time missed, at least. He was able to play through everything after the Jacksonville game. And you've got Kyler Murray, at least, with maybe a right shoulder injury. We'll see how that will affect him for the most part. Right now, he's been limited at practice. What we've seen, at least with the Cardinals, is that while they struggled at some point, really where the Cardinals often struggled was that Kyler was giving them probably about 60 to 70 rushing yards a game from taking off. And when they stopped calling those run calls and he stopped scrambling, that's where their offense seemed to struggle. If it does affect his arm, that's one thing. But we've seen, at least for the most part, as Cardinals fans, unless you end up taking a pretty bad injury for the most part, able to kind of see Kyler play through that. He played through enough to be able to play in the Rams game. It just wasn't enough last year in 2020 to get the Cardinals into the playoffs after he came back late. So I'll talk a bit about some of the matchups and also who's missing on the Browns side potentially, but the biggest thing to focus on here is not necessarily Rodney Hudson. If this was a season-ending injury, if this was an ACL, this may be a totally different case. He's been probably one of their MVPs, but if there's a guy who may have been for most unsung here on the Cardinals, it would have been Max Williams. With them being out, the question is, man, do you go to a Daryl Daniels? Do you try to bring up a Ross Travis from the practice squad? The Cardinals went and signed Richard Rodgers to the practice squad and protected him this week. So it's not just simply a, all right, we're going to try out this player, see what happens, maybe cut him by the end of the week. This is a player that the Cardinals are intending to keep and watch for a while. Now, there's probably a good chance that they end up keeping that route. They say, all right, we got talent. We'll just go ahead and use a lot, use a bit more of two running back setups in the backfield. We can get James Conner as a blocker, fill in some of that for the pass blocking. We've got Daryl Daniels, who we trust. He came in last year for the most part, caught a touchdown pass or two from Kyler, made some plays, not nearly the type of pass catcher, a guy who can break tackles like Max William did, not the same type of pass blocker, but he's capable. And then we can just run out Rondale Moore a little bit more, being able to force defenses to be on their toes by simply having a guy who, if you're going to go ahead and try to tackle him with a linebacker or a corner, good luck because he will break that tackle and be gone, and you'll be able to utilize a bit more of this quick passing offense. That will be able to help neutralize the pass rush even a little bit more than it already has been. Running more 10 personnel out there, maybe that would be the answer. Or perhaps the Cardinals could look at making a trade. Now let's go over and see some of the areas as far as the Cardinals go. Some things are just not realistic. And this is something that was bandied about, I think, at least earlier. With people talking about, hey, all right, just who are the top performing fantasy tight ends right now in the game? Let's go ahead and grab one of those guys. And that's the wrong way to look at it. It would be like saying, all right, we're going to go ahead here. We're going to go ahead and replace Max Williams with a guy who's not like Max Williams at all. Like, that was one of the things that came up with people who said, hey, let's replace Max Williams with Dan Arnold. Mm, no. It's not going to happen. Dan Arnold is a pass catcher, not a blocker. We even saw it last year against the first Niners game. They were like, all right, we're going to run this 10 personnel with Dan Arnold being one of these guys, a big slot receiver. We're going to do it against the San Francisco 49ers game one, and they struggled. Max Williams went off hurt. He ended up coming back, finished the game, but then went out for most of the rest of the season. And it turned into an unfortunate um, an unfortunate place for the Arizona Cardinals because really there was not enough plays that Dan Arnold made that could justify keeping him at the two years, $3 million contract that he got signed to by the Panthers. And the Panthers then went and traded him away to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He gets the Jaguars his first play, he fumbles the ball. Now, that's something we've seen before. And it's one of the signs of part of why we've seen that Dan Arnold, this guy that got a lot of hype, but it was for the role he was going to have. We got to see how he was a mismatch weapon who was used at times. We saw times where the offense thrived, but we also saw some of the limitations. And that's why 
when it comes to the types of tight ends the Cardinals have run, we've seen at least at Cliff Kingsbury, he's been able to match his air raid offense with offensive line Sean Kugler and his run game. And what that's needed is a pass blocking and run blocking tight end. That you can run, hey, we're going to run 12 personnel? Cool. We can now all of a sudden have a guy who sits in the backfield, blocks like an H-back or a running back? Cool. We're good to go with that. It's part of why the Cardinals went out and signed Charles Clay to begin with back in 2019. They were like, yep, we need an H-back. This is something that a lot of college teams have used, something Cliff uses without having it. It fills in kind of like how Kyle Juszczyk does with the Niners for a fullback. Now, where can you find that player then in the NFL? And are they available for trade? The answer to that question, at least, is, well, depends how much. The Cardinals do not have a fourth-round pick this next year. They used that to trade up to get Marco Wilson this past year. I'm happy with that. I don't think a single Cardinals fan will complain about any of that. Now, on the other hand, what that means is that you're then looking at trading either a third, a fifth, or you're looking at a sixth or a seventh. And a sixth or a seventh, usually, as we've seen in the past when Steve Kime has made those trades, you know, Kenyon Drake, younger running back, cost a fifth. Adrian Peterson, near the end of his career, cost a sixth. If you're giving up a sixth or a seventh, you're probably not going to be getting anything more than a backup or another player in return. There's one player in particular, maybe a second, who sticks out to me in this regard. But we'll get to that in a second. First, let's talk and rule out some of the obvious names. <laughs> there isn't really a way that David Njoku, who's having a solid game last with the Browns, or any type of, let's say, let's go and talk about a Logan Thomas. Uh, they're not going to be able to get TJ Hawkinson for a first. He, he may, this may be surprising, but he may cost more than a first because there are very few tight ends who can do what he does. Not going to be getting the types of at least a Noah Fant. Not going to be getting a type of, not even forget about a Darren Waller for all that. There are a lot of players that also are on playoff teams that are too important to them. Talking about the Tyler Higbees of the world. We're talking about the Dalton Schultzes of the world. These are also guys who are probably, in a lot of cases, probably more close to the 250 pounds, maybe not quite as bulky as Max, but maybe a little bit smaller. Maybe the long term for the Cardinals is get by with this season, look to the draft. There's a couple players you can like, but I think there's a couple of things that make sense. The first one that's probably the most popular one has been looking at the Eagles. Eagles have two players that have their deals up near the end of the year. You've got Zach Ertz and you got Dalton Schultz. Oh, no, excuse me, not Dalton Schultz. Sorry, I'm looking at this as the wrong one. Dallas Goddard. I was looking at Dallas. <laughs> now, of course, he's a Dallas guy. Plays in Philly, so that's how it goes. And so far, what we've seen, at least for that one, is most people like trade for urge, trade for urge, trade for urge. That was a huge push by a lot of fans this past offseason who felt like the team had a chance to, you know, make it happen. The thing is, between those two guys. One of those doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In fact, if you think about it, neither of them make a whole lot of sense. They're both solid pass catchers. But neither of them are quite the pass blocker that you're looking for as far as the Cardinals go. We want to talk about what what then does pass blocking look like? What does an elite pass blocker look like? The names that come to mind, at least for this, I think you talk about a Jack Doyle guy in Indianapolis gets a few tight a few tight end touchdowns a year. Talking about a guy like Kansas City's Blake Bell, a guy who stays in. Well, they're in two tight end sets. You know, Travis Kelsey's going out on a route. You know, Blake Bell, maybe one of those guys, former quarterback, big guy, he's going to stay in. Talking about maybe the 6'6", Logan Thomas, a big body. You're talking about the Pat Fryermuth, the guy who they called Baby Gronk back in Pittsburgh. These are all of those type of guys. We're going to be much more of a guy who can do both. They can pass block. 
Like, you get a bit of run block, even if you just put a bit of effort in there. Maybe you're not an elite run blocker, but if you're able to get in there, hey, you're you're probably good with that if you're a Cardinals fan. But neither Ertz nor Goddard are really that level of pass blocker. To make matters a little bit crazier, you want to talk about what their contracts look like this year, and this is kind of where I think things get a little sketchy, especially for Zach Ertz. Because Ertz, while he is a guy who's a former champion, was a huge mismatch, a guy who came out of, I believe it was uh, Stanford. Yeah, that's right, Stanford University. One of those athletic tight ends. A lot of people looked at him as kind of the next Travis Kelsey. And then injuries kind of set in. Lack of separation kind of seemed to set in. And he looked like he was a guy who was probably, when he signed that deal with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, He's probably going to be having his last go with the team. We already saw Carson Wentz left the team from last year. Ertz seemed to be content to stay in Philly after a while. Didn't hold out. Didn't seem to demand a trade. And it would take work to bring in the likes of a Zach Ertz. Now, would it kind of turn the Cardinals into a team that's like, oh, man, how are you going to stop this team? Yeah, if he stays healthy, you're going to be suddenly seeing the Cardinals can basically split out and have another guy who can essentially get passes over a linebacker that's not necessarily Rondale Moore. And his contract structure at this spot right now means that if they release or trade it, etc., there's going to be issues as far as for where it goes because his base salary right now this year is $8.5 million and the Cardinals are about $2.5 million in cap space. Ouch. There's a lot of people who wanted to say that, hey, we're going to be able to see if we can trade for Zachary. Well, it's a little bit different because you can maybe try to push stuff back for next year. Maybe try to get some of that cap. But if you're going to give up a draft pick, maybe even toss a player back at least if there's someone who's intriguing and then take on $8.5 million, you're going to have to essentially clear up cap room or adjust the contract. You're not really going to be able to even go ahead and try to extend him because, you know, if you're, I'm Zach Ertz, I'm like, whatever, are they going to extend it with this team or maybe see how it plays out? Like, he's already signed a contract with Philly and he'll be ready to leave, and that's something that players don't like to do as much. He's also 31 years old, and when we, as we see with tight ends, they just take a lot of hits because they're guys who have to block like an offensive lineman but they also take those hits to the lower body, to the upper body that receivers do. It's a grueling position to play in the NFL, and there's a reason why a lot of those careers can end up being shorter. While the Eagles have said, hey, we're looking to trade Ertz for that one, it just hasn't seemed to work out. Now, on the other hand, Dallas Goddard is a much more interesting type of guy to trade for because in some cases he seemed like he was ready to surpass and be kind of the heir apparent to, to Zach Ertz. Instead, what we've kind of seen is he's in the last year, he's on the COVID list currently, and coming out of South Dakota State, he's been kind of that big pass-catching tight end that has gotten some touchdowns, some big plays, but didn't really turn into a star. In fact, it was in some cases you could say that Zach Ertz was still outplaying him even at the older age. Now, Goddard's 26, so you're saying, all right, probably got about three or four years or so before that dreaded 30 age to talk about if you wanted to look at even extending him. He's a lot cheaper. His cap it this year, in the fourth year of his deal, this is a second round pick, is about $1.7 million. Okay. Not quite the star who was paid like Ertz was. You're talking about a guy who's younger and cheaper that, that could fill a role? Yeah, maybe that's something the Cardinals could look at. And Jay Glazer himself has even said that he, and this is the thing about with Glazer, if you look at rumors within NFL personalities, with NFL insiders, there's two guys that you really, really want to trust. With Rap Sheet being a guy who can be up there, but really it comes down to when Jay Glazer talks, usually there's something that always happens. A good example of that being the Kyler Murray rumors. The example being the Deshaun Watson news you know, it started to come up. And even talk at least about in the past about how Bruce Arians is coming every time. All these things were stuff that Jay Glazer got to speak on. 
And that's why when he says that the Eagles are very likely to trade one or two of these guys, that that may be very, very interesting for Cardinals fans. The team's been calling for the Eagles about trading for one of their tight ends and not saying which tight end it is. But you got to think, at least, if I'm the Cardinals, the one that makes sense that you could do is Goddard. The go-for-it type of move that would probably cost a higher pick would be Ertz. And if you're the Cardinals and you say, would you want to give up a third-round pick for Zach Ertz on an expiring deal at 31 years old? The answer to that is, well, I mean, if you get to the Super Bowl, hey, worth it. If you don't, well, at least you gave it a shot and went out swinging. Goddard, maybe you're talking about this as a long-term thing, a guy who can help you in the short-term and long-term. But there is another name. Let me bring this up to you. Darren Feltz. Now, four people jump on me and go, ah, what are we bringing him in for? He's not a big name. He's nothing compared to the upside of those as pass catchers. Yes, but in pass blocking. He's maybe the best in the NFL. And that's kind of crazy considering how old he is. Currently, he's as a pro football focus pass blocking grade. Totally behind Jack Doyle with 83.1. It's ahead of TJ Hawkins and his teammate ahead of George Kittle. I would be in favor. If the Cardinals want to look at a long-term approach that includes keeping their first, second, and third round draft picks for next year to add in young rookie talents, and they want to trade a sixth or a seventh for Darren Fells to bring him in from a Bad Lions team. Hey, I am all for that. 6'7", 270, a guy who can help protect you and be able to even catch touchdowns for you if you're Kyler Murray. He's a guy that I would be excited if the Cardinals could because it seems to fit the bill of finding a Max Williams type who can help not just protect Kyler Murray, but be able to fill in immediately as a veteran on the offense it wouldn't cost you a lot. Now, there's one other name out there that would be a little interesting and one that I would be okay with but maybe not great, and that would be if the Dallas Cowboys decided to move on from Blake Jarwin. And the reason why at least they can move on from Jarwin is due to the fact that Darwin, <laughs> Dalton Schultz has looked like a guy who's going to be worth paying for the Dallas Cowboys. The last two years he has been... Um, a top 10 receiving tight end in the NFL. Part of that, maybe it's the elevation of the Cowboys offense, but he still was doing these types of playmaking catches, scoring touchdowns in the red zone, while Andy Dalton and other backups were the quarterbacks in Dallas. Now, Dallas did make a mistake. Jarwin came to the team for the most part and signed an extension after he'd spent several years with the team. This is a guy who'd been... Long time for the team, from 2017 on, signed a deal to stay for the next four years or so in 2020 on. He gets hurt in 2020, and Schultz takes over. So you're like, all right, this is a guy that Dallas has paid. He's making $3.5 million this year. You're talking about a total of a $4.5 million cap hit. It's doable if the Cardinals wanted to make a trade, and then you got $4.5 million in 2022 and $5.5 in 2023. But he's also a top 10 graded pass blocker in the NFL. Not the same type of guy making play, making catches. And we've seen even the Cowboys have seemed to enjoy having two tight ends who can make plays. But it's a guy at 27 that would probably be a little bit younger. You could look at that as far as in the near future. And that would kind of fit into that Dallas Goddard second tier. The difference being he's already under contract for the next two years. So you're not really going to be able to get out of that without having about maybe $2 million in dead cap after this year and kind of kick it down the road. Maybe you just keep him say, all right, we'll go and bring you back at least for next year. You can then have Jarwin and Max Williams be our tight ends. Sounds good. Then you go into the 2023, see how it goes with him, knowing that you know, you're going to have probably about a million dollars in dead cap. It'll go down a bit. His guaranteed signing bonus has already been paid. He doesn't quite fit quite as much of the Max Williams. Only he's about, the, you know, measures in about supposedly the same way. I think Max is a little bit bigger. I think Max is a much better as far as a run blocker. <laughs> that goes without saying. 
I really think at least what Cardinals fans have wanted is to get the big name and don't look past some of these potential mid options, such as a Goddard or a Jarwin. And especially don't look past Darren Fowles, who spent time and was a solid player for the Arizona Cardinals here. And is still putting up solid pass blocking for Jared Goff with the Detroit Lions. And he wouldn't cost nearly as much as the others would. So I had to power rank each of these. I'd be fine with trading for Fowles. Like, I think Zach Ertz play, if you're wanting to talk about winning a ring, he would be the guy that has to be number one just because of the talent that he brings to you and what he could bring to this offense. As a pass catcher, sure. I think that one's got to be your number one. But I got Darren Fells as my number two. And if Steve Kime is able to pull off some type of a trade and make it work, then perhaps this Cardinals season can take a turn for the better and they're, as they're already 5-0. and And if you're coming off of a brutal injury like we just seen to Max Williams, a guy who has been well-beloved by the team, you can say, all right, guys, we've seen your efforts. We're rewarding you by bringing in a pro bowler tight end to help us get this last push. I think that's the best way that Steve Kime could reward the players for the work that they have put in thus far to get the Cardinals to this undefeated state. Now, what will that look like moving forward? Uh, we'll spend the last couple of minutes at least on the podcast talking about the Cleveland Browns. And this may end up turning into a game that we'll talk about as the war of attrition between the two teams. Who will win Browns or Cardinals? We'll cover that next here on the ROTB pod. Welcome back to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. The final portion of the show today, talking about Cardinals and Browns. Man, there's a lot of injuries this week. Cardinals, at least so far, have already ruled out Chandler Jones, who, after testing positive for COVID-19, as was talked about earlier this week, I believe it was uh, Dan Graziano said today, the Cardinals are in a spot where they've got two other either assistants or coaches have also tested positive for COVID, but it doesn't mean the game will be canceled. It doesn't even mean that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be ruled out from the upcoming Browns game. But as I talked about this, when a lot of people said, oh, well, he could still play, I really kind of put that to bed and just said, nope, he'll be out. And some people at least didn't like that as much, at least. Yeah, which is it's fine, you know. I think sometimes saying things are definite and crushing that little small bit of hope that was there may be tough. But it just seems to make sense when you look at how when people have COVID and have symptoms in the past – it kind of turns into about a 10-day process. And he was diagnosed, and we heard it on Tuesday. So you put in 10 days or so. You talk about, all right, well, that pushes it back past the Browns game this week. Maybe you're back in time for the Texans game. Or maybe, you know, you just look at the Texans and go, all right. It'd be a good chance for Chandler to pad his sack numbers. But if he's still kind of getting back into 100%, well, maybe you just, you know, see if you can get by without him. Maybe put him in as a player who can be a backup at least as far as if he's still having, you know, trying to shake off at least the COVID, not contagious, obviously. But I think he'll be back by next Sunday. But I do not think that he's going to be able to not only just have the symptoms go away, but just the time frame of having to have two negative tests within a 24-hour period when it's already Friday. Cliff Kingsbury said as much that he does not expect Chandler to play he also obviously ruled out Rodney Hudson earlier this week, talked about that earlier on the pod. Well, there's a lot of other injuries and guys who are limited in practice, which includes Kyler Murray. We'll see how his shoulder has looked. It's not been as bad as Baker Mayfield because Mayfield's been essentially putting not quite a sling. He's got kind of his shoulder brace on. He's still been throwing the ball around, but the offense has really struggled through the air. Ever since Odell Beckham Jr. came back, it just seems like there's been kind of a, it's been almost the anti-Hopkins. Murray, at least, seemed to understand innately when DeAndre Hopkins was added, or even when A.J. Green was added. Just some of the ability, and there was some times that they struggled, but they seemed to get onto the same page right from the first game. From the Niners game, 13 catches, boom, we're here. It's been two and a half seasons and outside of the torn ACL, which took away a lot of that, Odell Beckham Jr. has really just not seemed like he's been the same player 
that he was with the Giants. I have a suspicion that a lot of it has to do with Jarvis Landry being their primary slot guy, about how Baker seems to connect with Richard Higgins while out of the slot. That was Odell's bread and butter in New York. He would essentially be a guy who you could line up outside, but could also go into the slot and take a slant route to the house. That was part of why he set records in his first four years in the NFL. And what helps the Cardinals in this regard, at least, when you look at all these injuries, is that two of their guys in Byron Murphy and Marco Wilson have been back practicing. Now, Murphy's still been limited. He's got a ribs injury. Wilson, at least, seems to have a similar ribs injury. A lot of the Cardinals, I think it seems, have been taking some of these body shots, as physical teams are. They're not taking shots low. They're not taking shots to the head. But when you're taking some of those rib areas, you know, it's something that you want to make sure at least it's not going to have further issues as far as your ribs or with your back. The Browns on the other side, they're having a lot more serious issues. Yeah, a running back in Nick Chubb, calf injury. Davion Clowney's got his elbow and his knees been limited. Another knee with Jack Conklin. And then the other tackle on the other side, Jedrick Wills. He was limited in practice on Wednesday, left practice and didn't practice on Thursday. I don't know if it's going to be one of those places where he can go, but I think it is a game time decision. I would expect him to not play. So you're talking about maybe one tackle who's banged up. Maybe it ends up being both tackles are out. And then the three starting corners for the Browns, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, Greedy Williams, all are banged up. Last week, the Browns played the Vikings. Or another beat-up team that was missing Delvin Cook and more, and they really were able to run the ball effectively. That's been Arizona's weak spot, has been stopping the run. But they were so banged up that it wasn't like that they were able to really just kind of punish teams at least. And then this last week, we got to see, all right, well, that's where the Browns went up. They didn't seem like things went that well against the... Uh, Against the Vikings. Guess we'll see what happens this week, at least, when they play a Chargers team. And they go off <laughs> for 42 points. Chargers win that game 47-42. But the Browns really prove that this can be a potent, high-scoring offense. And they run through their running backs. So while they're banged up, I think it is one of those places where the Cardinals' offense is going to have to be able to perform if they're going to be able to win this game. Because the Browns, even if you have some of those guys out who are the tackles, well, guess what? Chandler Jones probably going to be out. You might be able to mitigate some of that if Dennis Gardeck can rush. You might be able to mitigate some of that with pressure packages. The Cardinals did it just last year. But I think, and this is going to be interesting, I am very curious as to if the Cardinals going on the road in a hostile environment, in which DeAndre Hopkins has also not practiced for two days due to illness, I expect him to be out there, as does every Cardinals fan. After a hard-wrought victory against a Niners team that really kind of punched them in the mouth for the first time since the Jags game, and the counterpunch, they weren't quite as strong because they were missing guys. They didn't have Byron Murphy picking off a pick six of Trevor Lawrence or having... Rodney Hudson and the ability to run the ball down the Jags' throats. But they were able to make plays to win the game. And I think that's what the Cardinals have to do on Sunday. Especially because it's going to be going on the road to Cleveland, a hostile environment. You're coming off of that win. I think that this is a game that the Cardinals potentially could let up a bit on. That's not, I don't think, a bad thing. I think that it may just be one of the avenues of being a 5-0 team. At some point, the wins may get a bit exhausted. We see this in college football every year. We even see it with teams that are undefeated, and they take on a, a tough loss, and the you know 72 Dolphins at least crack open their champagne bottles for another year of having the record for the undefeated season. Eventually, at some point, I think you do get a bit tired. We saw some of that happen with the Cardinals after they scored their first touchdown in the Niners game. Will that same avenue pop up? I don't think it will with Kyler playing Baker. I think the coaches are in at least a good spot. I think with Chandler Jones being out will let other guys be able to step up. 
But this is one of those avenues. Vegas right now has the Cardinals as three-point underdogs on the road, which means if you're at a neutral site, it's pretty much an even battle. That is very interesting. Because the Cardinals are going to be going up against with Miles Garrett and those running backs. While the Browns are a bit beat up as far as it goes, it's not that the guys aren't practicing will be out on Sunday most likely. It's going to end up being, I think, a battle of who can stay the healthiest and make the most amount of plays because ultimately the Browns are kind of the guys who I think have the advantage being that not just being the home team, but because they're a team that with their current record of three and two has to get a win while the Cardinals at five and zero oh can afford a loss. And that's probably the biggest thing I think at least that we've seen so far this year is that the Browns are fighters. They fought the Chiefs losing by three. They fought the te- uh, the Vikings winning by seven. They fought the Browns winning by five. They've been in a lot of close games this year. The Cardinals have only been in really one close game overall. <laughs> They've had essentially four blowouts to start the season. They proved last week that they can win ugly. Can they win ugly again, especially if they don't have to? And I think that may be the biggest area. If I'm a Cardinal player looking at the schedule, there's a solid chance that the Cardinals could say, all right, look past this. We've got a tough stretch against the Texans on Sunday, not like a hard stretch, but then that Thursday afterwards, taking on the Packers at home in a national game. I think we'll know very quickly. If the Cardinals come out flat in Cleveland, it might mean that maybe they're looking ahead. They go 5-1. and That would be one of the evidences where it's like you could kind of at least say that that would be something that wouldn't be unexpected. Now, however, as for my prediction, I feel like this team, every time it feels like you want to doubt them at some point during the season. To this point, I had thought the Cardinals, I said, you got to be 4-2 and heading into this stretch of the schedule coming out of the Browns game. If you're going to be in playoff contention, if you're going to want to be having a shot at the NFC West, you got to be four and two. They're a five and zero, oh, and even if they lose, it'd be five and one. They've already exceeded expectations, but maybe that just means that we're doubting them a bit much, and maybe it is that killer instinct. With all the players that the Browns have out, with all the adversity the Cardinals have sought, this is going to be a big game to see if. They're going to essentially still have that killer instinct and go out and try to be able to get a win. I think if they come out flat, then we'll at least know that they're trying to essentially say, all right, we can go 5-1 and one knowing that we're going to be bringing it, bringing healthy players, bringing it back for the Texans and Packers game that next week, and then go into that mini-buy. I've counted the Cardinals out before and would normally pick the Browns to win by a field goal. But I'll go ahead and swing the opposite angle because every time it seems like I've doubted this Cardinals team or felt like that they'll get a loss, they go out and beat the Rams. They go out and hold on against the Niners. I'll go and say Cardinals 29, Browns 26. I think that it is going to be a little bit of a game that has a few more field goals kicked than in the years past. I don't think the Cardinals hang 30 points. I think they go under that. But I do think that they're able to essentially on defense um, – not get completely run over by the Browns. I think that their secondary being back will be a big difference as far as in the passing game. And even without Chandler Jones, the fact that the Browns' tackles are beat up makes me think that Arizona was going to be able to get some edge pressure somewhere in the game. So if I'm wrong and the Cardinals come back at 5-1, and one, I don't think it's going to be one of those areas for shame versus recognizing where the team is. And in some cases, if you're an undefeated team, the longer it stretches on, Sometimes the more you just want to say, all right, you know, like, you know, get that loss over with because that will take some of the pressure off of the team. I also think I'll pick the Cardinals on top because I just don't see Kyler Murray going out there and not having that motivation to be able to just kind of stick another one to Baker Mayfield. We saw it last time he played the Browns. Just kind of beating up on the uh either the little brother, the big brother, whatever you want to call it. I'll go ahead and pick the Cardinals at least to go walk away with the victory, start out 6-0, and and we'll see if the undefeated Cardinals will stretch on this Sunday. They'll be taking on the Browns at 1.05 p.m. Arizona time. Hopefully you'll be watching at least for that one. 
And uh, that will just about wrap it up for us here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we'll see what goes on as far as the team in if they address the tight end position by the next time they're on the pod, if there's more injury updates, or if we have any other news on Chandler Jones. In the meantime, um, big care for all of the Cardinals fans, at least around there. Go Cards. Hope they can get a win on Sunday against Cleveland.